We are continuing today a sermon series that has been taking us through the season of Easter. As many of you know, we have just completed a significant renovation here in our sanctuary and in some of our adjoining spaces. And so as we begin only four or five weeks now into worshiping in this space, we felt that this was a good time for us to remind ourselves of what it is in our sacred spaces that make them sacred. And so each Sunday we are considering and pondering the significance from both a literal but also a faith perspective of the different objects that we find in our sanctuary. We began with our pews, Our youth walked us through the significance of this chancel, these steps that many of them were baptized on and have sat for countless children's moments at. Last week, the Reverend Kate Buckley opened to us the significance of an organ, how each and every one of us are pipes through which God is sounding the song of God's love. This week, we visit the table the table that in just a short while we will come to dine at yet again. As we visit the table, we do so through the lens of Scripture, this day hearing the story of one of the most significant meals in all of the Bible, the Last Supper, hearing the story today according to the Gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter beginning with the 26th verse. Friends, let us listen now for a word from God. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying to them, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, Jesus said, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, we are all hungry this day. We're hungry for different things, of course, but you know that which we hunger for. And so, God, we pray that in this space, at this table, through these words, and together with the meditations of all of our hearts, you would feed us, that our lives would be nourished for lives that glorify you. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Roger was ill-mannered and ill-tempered when he first moved in. He was only 12 years old at the time. 
He had just lost both of his parents to drug overdoses. Even his own extended family would not consider taking him in. But Craig Barnes' father brought Roger home. And they treated him just like they treated Craig and all the other children under that roof. They fed Roger. They clothed him. They gave him his own bed, his own list of chores. Love and discipline in the Barnes household was dispensed in equal measure. But still, it was a challenge. It was a challenge for Roger to blend in to his new family. And when you think about it, it's not all that surprising why, after all, he had spent the first decade plus of his life living in a near constant state of fear and uncertainty and dread. Never quite sure if his parents would be there when he needed them. Never quite sure if there would be enough food in the pantry or any food at all when the hunger pains came. Never quite sure if he would make it to school on time. Because of the state of his existence, Roger, from an early age, had been conditioned to worry about one person and one person only, himself. It was a challenge for him to blend in because Roger was understandably self-centered and self-absorbed. And so there were many lessons for him to learn in the Barnes household. Many lessons to learn with this new family he had been welcomed into. And interestingly, the place where nearly all of those lessons were taught was the table. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus' favorite classroom was, and I would argue still is, the table. Think about all the stories that the scriptures give us. Over and over in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we find him where? At table, eating meals with all kinds of people, peasants and prostitutes, poor people, rich people, religious people, crooked people. It's a veritable who's who list of the powerful and the powerless. And I can't help but wonder if in all of those stories there is not perhaps a lesson Jesus is trying to weave for us. That if Jesus is perhaps trying to teach those then, yes, but also us now, that there's a table out there. There's a table out there where you don't have to do or be or even believe the right thing. To be welcomed at. I can't help but wonder if in all those stories Jesus is not using the classroom of those tables to instruct on the fact that there is a table out there where you don't have to call ahead and reserve a spot. 
a table out there that you don't have to earn your place at or pay for your place to be secured. There's a table out there where all you have to do is just show up and sit down. I can't help but wonder if in those classrooms where Jesus sits at table with all kinds of people, he's not trying to teach us a lesson about how there is a table out there that is not for the worthy, but for the hungry. I heard this song for the first time a week or so again, ago rather, and it has this refrain where it says, I want a house with a crowded table. Over and over, it keeps coming back to this, this refrain. I want a house with a crowded table. I cannot help but think that God's deepest yearning is for a house with a crowded table. You know, that's the thing I love the most about this new table in this renovated space. It's not its design or its craftsmanship or even its smooth, polished top. You should come run your hand over it afterwards. I love smooth wood. Now, the thing I love about this table the most is its size. If you ever worshiped with us in our sanctuary prior to our renovation, you might remember that the only time we had the table in this space was on communion Sundays because there literally wasn't room for it up in the chancel. We had to move it out every other Sunday of the month. But this table, this table is a table that's big enough and high enough where any seat in this sanctuary can see it. Where every person can imagine their place at it. It's a table that is big enough for all. For you. For me. For Roger. You know, every night, Roger was invited to come to the table. And early on, he had this habit where as soon as he sat down, he'd grab for what he wanted and he'd immediately begin eating. But over time, he began to learn certain lessons, such as before we eat, we pray. We give thanks to God for all good gifts. And how after we pray, we become aware not only of our own hungers, but also we start to notice the needs of those around us. How mealtime is not just about filling our own plate, it's also about passing and sharing and giving. He began to learn how it's not time to eat until everyone has been fed. And the amazing thing is that with time, that table, it changed Roger. How gradually he began to learn to anticipate and respond to the needs of others in the family. How he started to become aware of when someone needed more potatoes or beans or broccoli. Slowly, Roger became a new person in that classroom called dinner time. He became a member of a family who loved unconditionally in the same way he had been loved 
unconditionally. He became a new person, a person who was no longer centered on self, but centered around God. Now, many years later, Roger's life would end in tragedy. When the telegram came announcing that he had been killed in action while serving in Vietnam, the family wept and grieved and mourned in the same way that any family would mourn a son. Their hearts were broken, but their hearts were also filled with pride. For word came that Roger had died while saving the life of another. In a split moment, when he had a choice to make, he thought first not about himself, but about his friend. He thought first not about himself, but about his friend. You know, the thing that stands out to me the most And this account of the Last Supper is who Jesus is thinking about. Jesus is not thinking about himself on the eve of his arrest, literally the coming moment when his fate would officially be sealed. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about his friends, right? Jesus is sitting at that crowded table in the upper room of a complete stranger. I never really noticed that detail until I read this story again this week. It's a stranger's house, much like it's a stranger's donkey on Palm Sunday. It's a stranger's home that Jesus just kind of announces, hey, my crew's coming over. As he looks around this crowded table, he looks into the faces of people who are tired, people who are hungry, people who are like our graduates who we'll recognize today at our 1030 service, both hopeful but also a little nervous. Right? He looks around this crowded table into the faces of people who are ill-mannered ill-tempered and hurting. He looks into the faces of people who are hungry. He looks into the faces of people who look like us. On the night of his arrest, Jesus is thinking not about himself, but about us. And to them all, he says, this is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That love and that table, it 
changed Roger's life. Friends, may this table be that kind of table. And may the lives that it changes be our own. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.